I'm Megan. I'm Tegan. And this is The Office Hours, the podcast where two literature professors analyze the great American story. Hey, Tegan. Hey, Megan. How are you? Well, we got a big a big Dwight episode in store for you. Yeah, we do. I I was really enjoying my my Dwight. Yes. Yes, I think that I think we're reaching some peak Dwight and I'm very excited to hear what you think about his his point of arrival, about his leadership style, about his interactions with other characters in the office. Now, did you watch this show when it aired initially or did you only watch it after it was out? I watched it initially. Yeah, so I'm going to be really curious about your experience of, like, was there a world in which people thought, oh, my God, Dwight's taking over, you know, or like, oh, my God, you know, I don't know. Like, I was, I'm was, i wondering what it would have been like to have watched it at the time. What leads you to believe that I can remember my experience from 2007? I believe that's the year that you, like, met me. So probably the most important year of your life i assume every moment was documented and well i think maybe the you part was more important than remembering the experience of every individual office episode fair enough uh you know anyway you know me better than this but hypothetically (laughs) yeah i'm just kind of interested in that like it's so weird the way in which we're doing this also is like nowadays i think people just like binge this right or they're they're re-watching it a million times but usually in chunks, whereas like I I just watched this half of an episode to prep for today. It's such a str- and then it's like weeks go by, and then it's like, okay, what's the next episode? It's a weird. So yeah. when I was thinking about looking back over season three, I was like, oh my god, that was this season. Um, like yeah, Benny's on Christmas feels forever ago. It does feel forever ago. And I mean, it's probably been a year. We do we do it every other week. This is 25 episodes. That's a year of weeks. Are you saying we should speed up our uh, rate of recording? No, no. I think, I, think <laughs> in, I think we're at a fine, a very reasonable rate. Um, <laughs> it's almost unsustainable for one of us. <laughs> <laughs> you won't say whom. It's me. Uh, but come on, you know, end of semester, end of this season. It's a it's a perfect storm. I like the alignment. You know, this is this is an episode that's about endings and beginnings. Mm-hmm. Well, before we get into the episode of the day, do you have any revisions and regrets for us? Um, I not not exactly, but I I felt like we didn't go far enough into our boob breast tit conversation. Oh God! I felt that, uh, I guess my regret was that I didn't ask you more questions about it. Um, (laughs) What more could you even have asked? I mean, I think we hit the bottom of that barrel. Well, I was curious if you have analogous, like, do you think that boob breast and, um, and tit are like equivalent to vagina pussy and cunt that was my question like do you see those as as sort of like you draw a line from one to the other because um yeah i feel like lots of people i know have strong feelings about those three words and which one they prefer in which context they prefer it Uh Um, anyway i'm curious if you have if any Hmm. any thoughts you want to add i don't know i mean i guess there's 
they're semi-analogous. There's like the more technical one, the one you would use at the doctor's office. Um, you know, there's some, I don't know. I, I don't know that I actually have any very significant feelings about, about that. I probably should, but I don't. Uh, anyway, yeah, I just, I, I, for me, I'm always like, just kind of curious why certain words trigger certain people's reactions. So like, my students are always like moist is a word they don't want to hear, you know, for example. Yeah, why is that such a big one for people? I don't know. For me, it's congealed. I hate that word. Mm, okay, that's a fair. That's it just fair. sounds like what it is and it what it is is not good. Uh, but yeah, on the other hand, I feel like the most offensive words are sometimes the most sonically pleasing to my ear, you know, like <laughs> hard consonants and... Uh, <laughs> you know i don't know where whereas the other options less so um yeah yeah there's but, a oh go ahead yeah there's a an episode of curb your enthusiasm where larry's aunt dies larry david's aunt dies and he writes the obituary and there's a typo in the obituary so it says beloved cunt instead of beloved aunt <laughs> one in his family is so offended and furious and it's kind of like Come on, guys. It's a typo. It's fine. <laughs> I feel like that's going to be the show you make me watch after this. Uh, oh, I would totally. I would totally watch that. So uncomfortable. I sent you a clip on Instagram and I was just like, oh, even watching it, it like popped up my feed and I was like, oh, this kills me. Um, so it's so good. Um, but while I do have a platform to talk about words that I hate, you want to know what one bothers me the most? Yeah, I do utilize what just say use (laughs) (laughs) agreed some people really are very into the word utilize and um it just it sets something off in me i find it deeply disturbing and very frustrating um and i just think you know you don't need to go fancier when it means the same thing you know, it doesn't make me feel like you're an engineer. Just go with use means the same thing. I feel do, you, do you have any feeling about this? I completely agree. I'm racking my brain to when the last time I used when when was the last time I utilized utilize? Uh, oh, I would have noticed. <laughs> okay, good. I feel like <laughs> I hope you'll point it out. But uh, yeah, no, it just reminds me of like times when I was writing, trying to sound smarter than I am (laughs) or at least use words that would impress somebody and make them think I'm smart. I feel like that's a great example of a word where you're like, you're not smarter by using that word. You just sound like, like a robot or something. I don't know. It's a big Um, trying to sound smarter word to me. uh, Yeah. I was going to say, Oh, I've been kind of struck by to, 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 in terms of cunt, I've just been struck by a word. I can't believe I'm saying on this podcast, but you know, at the same time, I feel like it's really been popularized recently. Like I'm hearing, you know, all kinds of people go like, oh, that's such a cunty look or something like that, you know, and I'm enjoying the. Oh, what does that even mean? Like, you know, like hot and badass and and, uh, you know, and so I feel like I mean, maybe that's just like a, a kind of appropriation of drag queen <laughs> slang. But like, I think it's. <laughs> a kind of exciting reclamation in some ways of a word that, uh, that some people have found to be offensive. Um, 
And, uh, but at the same time, yeah, I always feel like we need more, I want more words, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, more options for these things. And it's interesting that in the show, Jan, when she like bears her chest or whatever, I think just says these, right? Like she doesn't refer, she doesn't Mm -hmm. say, is it Mm -hmm. my, you know, boob job or something like that. It's so, it's like unnameable. Um, Anyway. Yeah. Do you have any revisions and regrets? I actually don't. You're living regret free. I was pretty, I was pretty fine with it all, even though, you know, I was probably too mean to Pam, but I don't care. She can take it. You often are mean to Pam. Um, Mean to a lot of people. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right, great. Well, we have nothing in our inbox, um, but if anybody would like to email us, you can always do so at the best office hours podcast at gmail.com. And, uh, can they like rate and review us? Is that an option for them? Yeah, you can do it on the in the podcast app. Yeah, you know what? Rate and review us. Mm-hmm. Uh, leave a nice comment. You know, boost our fragile egos at this at this uh, dark time of the year and semester, and uh, and tell your friends about us. You know, spread the word uh, of the pod. Yeah. Well, do you want to? update the listeners who might be um, holding out for news about your adoption process. (laughs) Yeah. So I am, we're like siblings now. My understanding, like I'm talking to my sister right here. This is, you know what? This is just two sisters having a pod. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but yes. From a friend pod to a family pod. Yeah, that's right. So many transitions have happened in this podcast. First transition. I hated the office. Now I love it. Second transition. Gender. Third transition. I'm I'm part of the family. Um, You're part of the fam. Which was so sweet. Uh, Megan's mom reached out after uh, the last podcast aired and just sent the sweetest, kindest, most thoughtful message, uh, making it official. Um, I've been adopted. Uh, you know, the, I think the paperwork is probably in the mail. <laughs> um, you know, uh, but, um, yeah, no, I was, th- I was like, so incredibly touched. I was like, oh my God, your mom's the sweetest person in the world. Yeah. So, you know, next, uh, next step coming home for Christmas and watching Andy Griffith. I'm like, I'm booking my, my flight right now. <laughs> Please do. You got a lot to look forward to, but we're happy to have you in the family. Well, that's about all for uh, office news, family news, and revisions and regrets. Should we get into the episode? Let's do it. All right. Season three, episode 25, The Job Part Two. Also, the very last episode of season three. And it gives us some, uh, I mean, it feels like a finale. It feels like there, there are big, big things in this episode going on. So here's our summary. This is one of those three-part summaries with two semicolons. Just like to note the structure here. Dwight's new regime institutes sweeping reforms. Pam revels in her new sense of self. A torn gym acts on an impulse. Wow, what? (laughs) What episode did they watch? (laughs) We would give away the fucking ending, too. That's a good... That's a good point. It's a very good point. Um, 
I don't know. I'm curious about the Pam revels in her new sense of self. Does she? Oh. I mean, yeah, she does. Kind of. The uh, the Dwight thing, though, I do think is spot on. Yeah, Dwight's that's... regime institutes sweeping reforms. Great word choices there, too. Um, and in a case like the use of regime institutes also is one of those cases where it's like it might be a reaching word, but it's not like utilized because it is more specific and it's very governmental. Yeah. And I think it's very it's like the appropriate kind of word for what is going on here. Yeah, I think it's how he would describe what he's doing. Yes, yes. <laughs> Sweeping reforms. So we'll get into that a lot. Do you want to start with Dwight or do you want to start with the very beginning of the episode? Uh, let's start with Dwight. And because I feel like that plot is kind of contained. Mm -hmm. so deal with that and then unfold the rest from the beginning. Because I feel like everything that happens in New York is its own you know chain of events so yeah dwight uh i mean uh, i love shroot bucks <laughs> so much this is incredible okay incredible. give us a little context on shroot bucks and why you are so into them well, okay, so uh, in case you didn't watch the episode, Dwight has taken over as regional manager, um, and he wants to do things very differently from Michael. Um, for example, he doesn't want to have meetings. Instead, there's going to be a lecture, like a lecture series, um, no uh, non-work related ethnic celebrations. And parades of soft-minded do-goodedness. None of that. Uh, no more meaning. I love that line. Soft-minded do-goodedness. Yeah. <laughs> it's great writing in this episode. Um, he paints his office black, you know, to intimidate his subordinates. Yes. Um, but uh, most memorably for me is that he has created, a, uh, I believe on the bills, it says like a motivational system or something like that, or hmm. motivational reward. I don't know. But... Uh, the shroot bucks are to reward workers for doing, you know, uh, I don't know, commendable things like merits. And so he says, um, when you've done something good, you'll receive one shroot buck. One thousand shroot bucks equals an extra five minutes for lunch. Um, Pam asks, what is the cash value of a shroot buck? Excellent question, Pam. One one hundredth of a, of a cent. So Oscar calculates so 10,000 of your dollars is one real dollar. Um, yeah. And uh, we see the Shroot Bucks in action, for example, when uh, Dwight is giving his lecture on um, where paper comes from, which is... And to be clear, it's his first lecture in a long series of lectures. On the origin of paper and rewards Stanley uh, for saying that uh, precipitation comes in a liquid form. <laughs> uh yeah i okay why did i love it i mean yeah. it's just a it's I, I don't know it's so there's so many it feels so weird to try to explain a joke you know it's just like it's just funny but it's the they're huge bucks like they're <laughs> huge papers they have his own face on them he <laughs> has already devalued his own currency so he like essentially is like an authoritarian, you know, dictator or whatever, yeah. like, you know, whatever, like 
money that's essentially worthless. Um, and and like also kind of matching with his like libertarian vibes like he wants to create his own economy or his own implement his own vision of the economy everything is monetized i don't know it's just funny and 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 that uh like he thinks this is going to motivate them all to work more or something mm -hmm. rather than instantly make fun of him which of course they do <laughs> Um, yeah, what did you think of not only Shrewdbox, yeah. but his whole vision of management? There are a lot of things to unpack here. So the Shrewd, the Shrewdbox, your point about his, his image being on them. Yeah, that's a good, that's a really good solid dictator move. It feels like get your face right into as many places as it can possibly be. Um, it's interesting as a question of motivation. And how do you motivate people? And it made me wonder what's the difference between the Shrewdbucks method and the Dundee's method, mm. where they're both about motivation in some way, and they're both about giving awards. But you know, is it like a tiny bit at a time, or is it a once annual award for some very random thing? Mm. I thought this brought in some really great math moments. I loved Pam's question about the cash value, but then also Oscar's very quick mental math to go to. So 10,000 of your dollars is worth one real dollar. Great question. But I think the best mathematical comparison that we received came from Stanley. And when you already mentioned the Dwight Awards, Stanley won Shroot Buck. Also, I mean, just the value of these things. 1,000 Shroot Bucks equals an extra five minutes for lunch like <laughs> that is that is so many shrewd bucks and if anyone is going to get to that point that's also so much paper to print these shrewd bucks on and so they're just when like this is paper that they're not selling and that they're just using and so it doesn't it doesn't seem the smartest there it also reminds me that part. Of, that's amazing what's that i didn't even think about that part that he's using up the Oh, yeah. <laughs> um what was the other thing i was gonna say um oh yeah it reminds me also of his system of punishments that he describes to jim in an earlier episode about the demerits you know like once you get three demerits it adds up to one something and the, they add up but it takes so many for it to be meaningful same deal with shrewd bucks but so stanley is not buying into the system at all and so when Dwight tells him he's earned one shrewd buck, Stanley says, I don't want it. And Dwight <laughs> says, then you have been deducted 50 shrewd bucks. Stanley, make it 100. Dwight, we don't you want to earn shrewd bucks? Like his system is so premised on people's desire, like people buying into the shrewd buck system that Stanley really throws this whole thing off. And so Stanley responds, he says, no, in fact, I'll give you a billion Stanley Nichols if you ever talk to me again. <laughs> Dwight, what's the ratio of Stanley Nichols to Shrewdbox? <laughs> the same as the ratio of unicorns to leprechauns. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought about setting up, you remember doing in math those, um, what is it called? Like equivalence, you know, when you do, you put um, like, Stanley Nichols over Shroot Bucks equals unicorns over leprechauns. 
And then you can do that thing, you know, where you cross multiply. So it could be like unicorns times shrewd bucks equals Stanley Nichols times leprechauns. <laughs> it just made me kind of want to like put those in as mathematical units and see what we could do with them. <laughs> Actually, here's a question. Okay. The, okay, so Stanley Nichols to shrewd bucks is the same as the ratio of unicorns to leprechauns. So how many unicorns does it take <laughs> to get five extra minutes at lunch? Uh. <laughs> it would take me some more time to actually, you know, work all this out on paper, but I just thought it was a fun um, hypothetical. I unicorns were an endangered species, so I don't know if there's like enough of them. If that ups their uh, resale value. That's true, yeah. <laughs> supply and demand <laughs> uh <laughs> yeah no you're totally right about the uh his system is premised on the desire for wanting the shrewd buck mm -hmm. which is making me wonder is that also what money is based on <laughs> like yeah. is the similar design like if we just stopped wanting it that doesn't mm -hmm. seem right like it's i guess it's because you can't He's not like linking them to anything particularly necessary or important. Mm -hmm. But by not doing that, I do feel like you could argue that the episode reveals, yeah, like that money is just this fantasy. Uh, it is a floating, you know, number that we say, oh, yeah, here it's worth this. And oh, now it's worth that. And uh, um, and you are at the mercy of it because it's like, well, I do need to eat. And yes, I do need clothes and, you know, et cetera. Um, yeah yeah it is and actually like i mean it is the, the values assigned to actual say u.s currency is as arbitrary as the shrewd bucks um and yet at the same time so it's like it shows you know that is an invented system but part of what it requires is that everyone agrees you know that we kind of like all buy into the system so that a five is worth kind of a certain amount and a 20 is worth sort of a certain amount and a thousand troop bucks is worth something so he has no buy-in but also he's layering this kind of cash system onto a cash system that already exists so they're already getting paid like they already right. have right one that's actually motivating and if their paychecks if you know there was such say inflation that their paychecks changed so that a thousand dollars were you know what had been worth one real dollar or i'm sorry no ten thousand they would stop working <laughs> right 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 <laughs> would you rather work for you love shrewd bucks would you rather work for shrewd bucks or dundies <laughs> uh... both have minimal cash value <laughs> i was gonna say but like with shrewd bucks, you actually could get the extra five minutes lunch, you know, on the other I hand. I think that would take you though. <laughs> yeah. And at what cost? You know what I mean? Like you got to constantly answer questions in the lecture on, on, honestly though, that sounds, I mean, it feels like exactly up my alley. I'd be like, yeah, give us a lecture. <laughs> I got all the questions right. Yeah, I do. As a, as a fan of lectures myself, I was fine with that part of the sweeping reforms. Yeah, because the problem with the Dundee is that it, on some level, is a it is merely Michael's show. 
right? Mm -hmm. And he's the one who gets to label us all. And my Dundee is probably not going to be like what I want it to be. It's going to be what was like the mean one he used to give out or longest engagement. Yeah. Right. And mine's going to be, you know, I don't know, something about <clears throat> like a uh, gender weirdo or something like that. You know, <laughs> I don't know. So, you know, I don't know that I want it Dundee. However, <laughs> I feel like Michael allows you to waste way more time at your job mm-hmm. than Dwight. So in that way, Maybe, maybe Michael's the best. I don't know. I was curious what you made of the Dwight regime. Angela's super into it. Angela's super into it. I I really enjoyed everything about it. Um, I think the black walls right? were fantastic. I love it how he just he just moves in immediately. Mm-hmm. He is setting things up. And I thought the black walls were kind of a good idea and very funny. Um He says, so he's painting them black and he says, it's so intimidating. Anyone who comes in here is going to have to take me seriously. Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. He says, and he kind of holds up the paintbrush, the roller. And a couple of things. First of all, we see both Dwight's abuse of power. I mean, maybe this says something about this type of person who seizes power in this way. But there is this underlying vulnerability anyone who comes in here is going to have to take me seriously so like a forcing of being taken seriously and i confess that i did not know what that reference was so i looked it up but it's from dante's divine comedy and it's the line abandon all hope ye who enter here is above the gate of hell Mm. and so dwight does sort of fantasize about himself in hell in a lot of ways because it goes back to jim his conversation with jim and he was talking about like imagining himself basically running a hotel with Satan or something like that. <laughs> mm. That is such a great connection. You're so good at re- re- reweaving these uh, links. <clears throat> I mean, when we saw the uh, yogurt, uh, yes. In this yeah. episode, I was like, I remember. Like, I was so happy that I remember that. Yeah, one, but... Office Olympics. Um, and that really paid off. And I was like, oh, I wondered if you were setting me up, like when we were in- analyzing it back then, if you were like, <laughs> I was not. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, I, li- I like that link to his his mm-hmm. kind of fantasy of running a motel in hell. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think I, I mean, my only other comment on this whole subplot, other than just like it was funny and it made me laugh is that uh yeah, I actually, I don't know. I'm I'm trying to, I, I think it's fun to imagine other ways the show could have gone. And mm-hmm. like, I think it could have been interesting to have um, Michael not get the job, but come back and Dwight be regional manager. Mm-hmm. And even if it was like for half of a season or something like that, I don't know. Like, like I was, I was, you know, it made sense to me. It was like, yeah, you still have your job back in Scranton, Michael. There was no narrative reason that he shouldn't, um, yeah. I suppose. Although he does tell Michael or David to like, uh, you're crazy or something like that. But yeah, I don't know. Anyway, um, what do you think about that idea? Like if it had been, yeah, Dwight's regional manager for a couple episodes and Michael's, you know, like struggling with that, with all his regime changes. Too yeah. obvious, too, too, too on the nose. I don't know. 
I don't know. It's uh, it's hard for me to want anything other than Michael in charge. Uh, you love this guy. <laughs> I love this guy in a long-term way. Um, I don't know. I'm like, would Dwight just, like, would the whole place implode? I don't know. Maybe we can't, we can't find out. But um, I don't know. That's, like, too otherworldly for me. <laughs> okay, yeah, I forget. You don't like... Uh... Science fiction, speculative fiction. Uh, yes, it's too speculative. Exactly. It's too speculative. Um, um, and anyway, it didn't happen. So uh, this episode. I, oh, go ahead. Yeah. I have one other thing about Dwight's um, approach to power. When it starts off, the first time we see Dwight, it's he's in his new office. This, first of all, has a Tegan favorite, a classic camera move. And that's when it starts out on Dwight and he's the one he's talking, he's kind of explaining what's happened. And then the camera pulls back to reveal that Andy is by his side over yep. his shoulder in the same way it sometimes did with Michael when Michael was at the desk and Dwight was there over his shoulder. Thoughts? Were you surprised and delighted by that scene? I love that. You know, that's, that's like a, yeah, I just loved it. And I thought that Andy was funny in this episode. Um, you know, I was kind of glad that, I don't know, I get a little tired of their, rivalry or whatever so it was kind of fun to see him in assistant to the regional manager toady you know yeah. kind of mode that was fun yeah yeah i love too when he said that the black paint was like looking into his own soul um <laughs> but the other great thing here is that dwight is chewing big league chew yes which is the gum the classic gum that is supposed to be like chewing tobacco and he's spitting it into the world's best boss cup. You got to spit when you're chewing tobacco. You don't have to spit when you're chewing big league chew. So many things. I just find this to be one of the brilliant details that's written in. I mean, first of all, did you like big league chew? Did you have that when you were a kid? Uh, I did not like it. I did have it, but I was not a fan. I didn't, I, and I still don't really love gum. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, for whatever reason, I just, I mean, like, I, you know, I've chewed some gum in my time, but it's just not. Yeah. Oh, I did not know this about you. Yeah, and for whatever reason, I didn't love Big League Chew, but as I recall, didn't it come in, like, a little pouch just like, um, whatever like uh chewing tobacco right like yes what's it supposed to basically like yeah like simulate for kids like exactly it's gonna be like when you do <laughs> when you have chewing tobacco i don't know yeah exactly there were a lot of um tobacco based candies back then because there were also the um candy cigarettes and gum cigarettes and they were a lot of fun i loved everything in this category but it's just so perfect for Dwight because it's this thing, chewing tobacco, it's like this kind of tough, masculine, kind of old Western, old timey, dirty, but tough thing. And so you can get why he likes that, but the way that it is just so undermined when it is bubblegum and he's pretending I think it's sort of similar in the way that the bubblegumness of the tobacco undermines him. I think it's similar to the way of Stanley bringing in unicorns and leprechauns. It's like this childlike, you know, pretend 
kind of stuff. And he's trying to be so serious. And he wants, the reason he's painting his walls black is so that people will take him seriously. But then he's got Big League Chew. Are you saying that Big League Chew is kind of nerf? No, it is. Yeah. Yeah, it is nerf. It is nerf, but in the best way. Beyond Big League Chew, there is one other thing that I want to talk about. Well, that we must talk about with Dwight. And that is the relationship with Pam and Pam's role in his new regime. So Dwight has Pam in his office. I think this is the second scene that we've got with Dwight. Dwight's got Pam in the office and he says, you showed great leadership potential at the coal walk. Even if you didn't follow it with that embarrassing personal confession, Pam, thank you. Dwight, I had to make Andy my number two. It's political, complicated. You wouldn't understand. I want you to be assistant regional manager. And Pam asks, really? He says, well, in a sense, although publicly, I am going to attain the assistant regional manager position. You will be your own assistant. Correct. I need someone I can trust. But I would also like the title to be secretly applied to you, just stripped of its pomp and frills. Okay, so you would be the regional manager and the assistant regional manager. Andy is your number two. I would be the secret assistant regional manager. Mm, let's call it secret assistant to the regional manager. Mm-hmm. Do you accept? Absolutely, I do. And then Pam reminds us that Dwight has taught her, I'm not, Dwight, sorry, Jim has taught her that if Dwight ever asks you to accept a secret mission, you say, absolutely, I do. Okay. What do you think about this new alliance? Well, I just have one question for context in case I'm missing, which is, is there anything immediately preceding in the last few episodes that I'm forgetting that kind of sets up this kinship between them i feel like wasn't there an episode where they kind of collaborated or they had some intimacy i can't remember there's the one where he um gets the concussion yeah there's that that's true so there's that kind of sweetness between them and has that already happened or is it i don't know i'm not sure if that's happened yet (laughs) that may not have happened yet (laughs) um I do think, though, he observed, I mean, somebody who's... he put his jacket over her when she was crying? <gasps> yes. And he thought she was on her period or whatever. Yes. Like, yeah. That was it. Okay, yeah. No, he hasn't had the concussion yet. But then, but yeah. Um, yeah, there was that very, very sweet, kind of tender moment between them. I think the thing that he starts off with, though, about the coal walk makes sense to me as something that he would make note of and find important because, (laughs) you know, it is a physical feat. It also takes mental strength and bravery. Um, It feels like it's within the Dwight, I don't know, set of skills that he would want to see for leadership. And I have to say, I really liked it that he recognized that in her. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> um, yeah, no, I, I forgive my uh, clearing my throat there. Uh, yeah, no, I thought it was 
totally adorable. Like, I, I think it might be my favorite part of this episode. Mm -hmm. I mean, for sure, my favorite part of the episode, or I think the best actor in the episode is Pam. I think Pam kills it. And, um, and her scenes with Dwight, especially, and the interviews around her relationship to Dwight are where she just comes alive. And there's yeah. charming and silly, but also a, not exactly sweet, but like, not not sweet. I don't know. There's something very charming about it all. And uh, so, yeah, no, I like that reading that that Dwight genuinely recognizes her sort of physical ability because both mm -hmm. of them, they're the only two who did the coal, right? Like Dwight. Yeah, yeah Dwight they are. Severely burned. Uh, yeah. And so he, you know, he he recognizes her in that way. Um, That's a great I, point. I mean, that that is a huge point of affinity, like to to be the two who did this thing because you remember too how good pam felt afterward yeah. um like it's a thing to go through and for them both to do it and be the only ones who did it mm -hmm. i think i think dwight picked well i do too i i also thought it was great writing where it's like you know you did this courageous thing at the coal walk and of course setting us up to think oh it was talking about your feelings or whatever and it's like except for that you know moment where you talked about your feelings which uh -huh. was just you know wonderful writing and uh yeah and then her kind of like impishness that's it maybe that's it not sweetness but impishness and her delight she clearly wants to share this experience with jim mm -hmm. and uh i don't know there was something about that i i really like i thought it was a clever way to really emphasize the absence of jim mm -hmm. because you could imagine all the things that Jim would do with the the shroot bucks and the black office and the you know he would just have a field day playing with Dwight here and in his absence Pam is doing that to a degree but you know enjoying it all on her own and uh yeah so I I enjoyed that yeah I wondered a little bit watching it this relationship with Pam and Dwight and she does she does revel in it. The summary says she revels in her new sense of self. I was unsure about the self, sense of self part. I do feel like she definitely revels in this relationship and in this secret position that she's given. But I wondered a little bit, like, is it sweet? Is it mean? Because enjoying it so much is also kind of mocking him. Is it both? And what you said about Jim and Jim's absence made me think about how it changes the dynamic because this is the kind of thing where she's enjoying it in the way where she wants to share it with Jim. And if Jim was there, they would go over to the reception desk and immediately be, make, be making fun of Dwight. But it seems like there's something sweeter about it, that it's not just totally mocking. But I don't know what that is. Like, I, I can't quite put my finger on what that sweetness about it is does that make sense it does and at least to my mind she doesn't undermine or sabotage him at all mm -hmm. all she does is kind of witness and maybe maybe spotlight or like no she encourages him i think that's it she's kind of encouraged yeah. his his batshit ideas to be like yeah, yeah. This where this goes yeah. um so I think that's, you know, <clears throat> to him, that feels like genuine encouragement. And to me, yeah. it didn't feel mean because 
it's not like she uses that to any particular end or mm-hmm. um turns to somebody else and you know says something really mean about Dwight or whatever but yeah um, yeah but also I thought it was interesting that the line it, that she says is um where is it uh <clears throat> he says do you accept and she says absolutely I do and then she says, I learned from Jim, if Dwight ever asks you to accept something secret, you reply, absolutely, I do. Um, now, first, it's intriguing how close that phrasing is to accepting a marriage proposal or a <laughs> uh, wedding vow. I do. You know, it's a, it's notable. And then also that so by accepting in the language that Jim has like she's quoting Jim. She's speaking hmm. Jim's voice. Like he's incarnating her or something like that. I don't know. And so I just, I, yeah, I thought that was kind of, I don't know, cool. I mean, cool writing, but also this way in which she's learned something from him <laughs> and she's enjoying it. Like, I feel like yeah. she's so morose and, alienated and lonely and she says it's like some of you don't even know my name and don't even know I exist and Dwight is saying I see you and you know whatever and then she's playing along but by doing so I think that by playing along that kind of creates a bond I don't know yeah yeah I think you're right I think the playing along with it it does create a bond and I bet the fact that he recognizes even though this is a playful and funny and amusing thing to her. I bet the fact that he recognizes her leadership and that he sees something good in her is still meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what about David Wallace? Let's go there. Let's go to, let's go to our good friend, David Wallace. He's the other person who's tasked with seeing something in his employees. And mm-hmm. um, I do remember uh Corey, longtime listener, uh asking me recently whether we thought David Wallace was hot. And uh so I thought we should we should talk about that in addition to the entire plot here. But my answer was a resounding yes. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. It's a yes. Yeah, I think he's incredible. And he gets hotter in this episode as it goes <laughs> along. Like by the end, very hot. So, you know, there's that. Um yeah. I find him in this very, very charming. Um, yeah, I really like I like the energy that David Wallace brings. The weird thing is I've seen him in something else and did not have the same feelings about him at all. So it's not even it's separate from the actor. It really is this actor as David Wallace. Huh. He's he's fabulous. You like the power. That's it. You like the authority, I assume. <laughs> Wow, you know, that's actually a really interesting thing to compare is his style of authority versus Dwight's versus <laughs> yeah. Jan's. We have all these different different forms of authority and failures of authority and all of that. But I think I think with David we got a good one. Okay, well, so David, we get to see um we get to see his interview with Michael, we get to see mm-hmm. his interview with Karen. And we get yeah. to see his interview with Jim. And so I was curious if you had thoughts on the patterns you saw across all three 
any particular differences, the way he changes or comports himself. And <clears throat> if you if do do the do the representation here of interviews teach us anything about the form of an interview? I'm curious. Hmm. Great questions. So it doesn't ever show us the full interview with anybody. So we don't get the range of all of the questions, but they definitely feel different. So when Michael comes in, he starts out by um, giving him a compliment about how well he handled the merger. And then his first question is to ask Michael to tell him about his greatest strengths, which Michael turns to say, why don't I tell you what my greatest weaknesses are? But so he starts from question of greatest strengths, which is kind of like a, I don't know, stereotypical interview question. He also asks Michael what Dunder Mifflin could be doing better. Michael does not provide a very strong answer there. We could get into the answers if we want to. With In Karen's interview, he's asked about her five-year plan. I don't think it actually shows him asking the question, but we've got um, Karen answering it and ending on the point basically like, you know, that's my, that's my five-year plan. And after that, who knows? He also asks her about Michael. When Jim comes in, though, the vibe is different. I mean, it feels like that's also the third one. So he may have eliminated Michael and Karen through their interviews, or he may have known all along that Jim was it. And the other ones were kind of, I don't know, what's the word, pro forma um, mm. in some way. So when he interviews Jim, it starts from... Uh, a question where he's kind of like, you know, listing all the great things about Jim and they get, they, they're able to kind of banter because Jim says something like, so is the question, what makes me so amazing? Is that mm -hmm. doing script up? I can't remember it exactly, but so it starts from being kind of flattering. He jokes about not knowing if he can hire a, is it a Sixers fan? Yeah. A fan of some team. Don't know what sport it is or what city they're from. Uh, Philadelphia basketball. Oh, Philadelphia basketball. Okay, thank you. Um, and he asks his first real question he asks, though, is how do you think you'd function here in New York? Mm -hmm. So kind of going right to not me getting a better feel for you potentially in this job. It seems like he's already got a sense that Jim would be really good and sounds like he wants Jim. And so it's going to the kind of practicalities of it. So that's kind of what I thought. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. I think that like the first time I was watching this, I I don't know, I felt really bad for Karen and still do. <laughs> like not only does Karen not get the job for any reason I cannot see um, other than like sexism, but also she, her interview is basically about Michael Scott. <laughs> and I understand narratively why that is sort of important and satisfying. And also her interview is going to get interrupted by Jan. Um, but I, I felt a little like, oh man, Karen gets really short shrift, um, by David Wallace. And I felt that the Jim interview revealed what is, so problematic about a certain style of masculinity which in in which like we share this vernacular mm -hmm. 
uh, bro-ish like vibe. And that kind of stands in for, or it's a shorthand for intimacy. And Mm -hmm. it's a, and you kind of know the rules and you just kind of go along with that or whatever. And what's kind of amusing about Michael Scott is that he doesn't really understand how to do masculinity in the way that Jim and David can. And so seeing them kind of, I mean, it, it's almost like flirting, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it, yeah, yeah, it is. It is um, you know, ch- ch- you know, charm and whatever is uh, wow. anyway. So it's so funny because Michael Scott's like not, not great at that. However, I found him to be very charming in this episode and well, you found Michael to be very charming. Yes. And like mm-hmm. very effective um, in his interviewing uh, <laughs> moments. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I kept asking myself, like, is David Wallace? Yeah. Did he set it up from the beginning that he knew he wanted Jim? Did he, it couldn't have been because he seemed to really want Michael and then Jim and Karen kind of inserted themselves into the process, right? And, or we don't really know. Like, we don't see how they're, no, yeah. we, we see there Karen. That phone call when they were at the beach, um, when they're setting it up, you know, when Jim is on the phone and he's talking to David about yeah. setting up the interview. I don't know that we, if we know or not how that got initiated. Um, but yeah, they do feel like they're inserting themselves into it a little bit i think the point you made and you've talked some about this before about the kind of boys clubness of business and this interview being really revealing about what are some of those ways that um i don't know like kind of men's networks get preserved and men get promoted because even the way that he interviews jim sets jim up to be more likable because there is that comfort and that kind of intimacy. And I think, like you said, it's, it really is a lot like flirtation. So Karen's in a much harder position there. At the same time, I don't think Karen comes off great. I think she comes across as being too... I think she's polished. I think that she knows how to perform. I think Kevin is right when he says he thinks it's going to be Karen. She's corporate. Like he, she's got corporate feel and he says it's because of little pantsuits I think it's because of the way that she answers that what's your five-year plan like she's got this kind of long-term all put together ambitious plan mm. but I don't think that that comes across as really desirable to David because I think that it seems like you know this is just part of the climbing rather than it really being about this job or about the goals here of this company. Um, so I didn't, so as she interviewed in that moment, I was like, Ooh, this is a no. Mm. I think we she's a no. Get to see her. Does she say what her, we just cut in and it's like, that's my five year plan, but we don't know what she said. It's just the wrap up, but I think it gives that, I think it gives that sense of like, this is my stepping stone and I'm out of here. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I know. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I'm going to go over to Michael. So I was just I always think it's like, well, the five year plan question I'm always I think is bizarre. But also, uh, I mean, yeah, I feel this way about interviews all the time where I'm kind of like, what are we really looking for? And it feels sometimes like so strange that we base 
you know, the acquisition of a job on, on, yeah, these like relatively brief and highly conventionalized conversations. And, you know, uh, yeah, I am often kind of like, are you hiring people who are good at interviews or are you interviewing people who are going to be good at the job? Like, because the people who are really good at the job might not be the most charming or whatever. And perhaps that's what the, what Michael's proofs um but about karen to to your point about her kind of affect when he says what do you think about michael scott very nice man and very well suited for the job he has now i was like that is brilliant and fast that was brilliant that actually i thought she was really really strong there he's very well suited for the job he has now what a diplomatic way to put it yeah and then he would be a disaster i thought was uh I was like, that's a bad move to say that because either he becomes your boss, mm-hmm. you know, um, or you 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 look like somebody who will say, on the, you know, David wants you to be honest, but like that's a that's a really mean mm-hmm. assessment, you know what I mean? So like, oh, he would be anyway. So uh, yeah, I, I, I I'll go with you, I, even though I want more for Karen in this world, but but. <laughs> Here's my question for you. You said you thought Michael was was very effective in the interview. I did. (laughs) But let me just read a couple of Michael's responses and I want you to make your best argument for him for this position and for his interview skills. Okay. So when, when David asks him about his greatest strengths, Michael says, why don't I tell you about what my greatest weaknesses are? I work too hard. I care too much. And sometimes I can be too invested in my job. And then David kind of pauses and he's like, um, and your strengths. And then Michael says, well, my weaknesses are actually strengths. And, and uh, David is kind of like, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't remember what he says, but it's basically like a well-played. I see what you did there. The other thing, when David asks him, what could we be doing better? Michael says, I've never been a big fan of the name Dunder Mifflin. I was thinking we could name the company something like Paper Great, where great paper is our passion. We're great. I don't know. Could be good. Or uh, Super Duper Paper. It's Super Duper. I don't know. Something like that. So can you please, usually, I'm glad to see you in this position because usually I'm the one defending Michael. Can you please advance your argument for why he's effective in this interview? (laughs) Well, okay. <laughs> I just found him in this episode to be at his like maximum, maximum sweetness and mm-hmm. like minimum cringe uh, or something like that. Okay. I mean, although it is cringy, but like, I, I just, he's, he's so, I felt like he's so good hearted here. Mm-hmm. Like he is genuinely doing his best to yeah generate ideas for the company (laughs) yeah you know and uh he is i'm thinking a lot about what happens when he discloses he's like oh by the way like i'm dating uh jan again and so i'll need to find sign those love documents you know or whatever and Mm -hmm. when told that it was her job he could have been he could have used that to his advantage and he didn't you know what i mean like he is i was like that that might not be the smartest decision, but mm-hmm. it is an attempt to be, have integrity and that would go somewhere for me. And then, you know, the fact that he's defending his girlfriend, uh, again, poor decision, 
but demonstrates his, you know, I don't know. I just, yeah. I, 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 I yeah. And so, okay. Is he, he's not like good, but <laughs> even the, even the, the movement, you know, where he's like, here are all my weaknesses. Here's all my, uh, let me start with my weaknesses. And it's like, oh, those are actually my strengths. Like that is something that we're all told to do in a way. Like if they ever ask you your weaknesses, make sure they're also strengths. And I just he's <laughs> like, you know, here's, look what I did. I did the thing that I'm supposed to do. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's just so, <laughs> I don't know. Just found him, uh, I keep using the word charming, but there it is. There it is. But you wouldn't have hired him, clearly. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> stats are so good, he didn't lose a single client in the merger. That's true. And actually, this really supports your point about interviewing not necessarily getting the best people. Because Michael has done a good job. Stylistically, he might be a disaster. But in terms of the substance, he seems like he somehow brings substance. Yeah, and the thesis of the episode seems to be the worst person is going to get the job. Like the <laughs> that, absolute worst person that exists is going to get is, it. That is very, very true, but not for lack of David Wallace trying. Which, um, I don't, you know, now that I think about it, David Wallace is a fucking villain. I don't think I like him anymore. Also, now I'm realizing, why didn't he pick Karen? Exactly. Like, but I can see Karen being like the number three out of Michael, Jim, and Karen. I don't know. I don't, I don't co-sign that. <laughs> you put her above Jim? Yes, Jim is sort of bad at his job. He spends all this time slacking and uh uh pulling pranks and he he yeah didn't we establish that he like but, goes above and beyond yeah but as michael has explained he can do the amount the amount of work that takes michael a day jim can do in 20 minutes i don't I mean, know that <laughs> he just has untapped potential and he needs to be challenged as the kids would say that's not the flex he thinks it is you know what i mean it's, it's not... yeah that's right that's not the flex he thinks it is <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I genuinely was like, okay, either there were three options in my mind. A, the show is sexist by not giving it to Karen. B, um, they knew Karen wasn't coming back for season four, so they couldn't give it to her, you know, and they might maybe wanted whoever takes the job to be like a recurring character. Or C, the point was <laughs> to underscore the sexism because Jan is fired. Um we'll have to talk about that and then uh and then they hire ryan uh who is yeah um he has an mba i guess there's that that's true he does have an mba and you uh, wouldn't know i mean i don't think david wallace would know that ryan is awful like he hasn't seen him talk to kelly for example I guess you love defending David and Michael and you, you just I do. I do. I also I also don't think firing Jan is necessarily sexist. No, it's I mean I think she's a woman, but I do think <laughs> that she probably deserves to be fired. Uh, but it was obviously because of the boob job, wasn't it? That was why they fired her. No. Um I feel like David had a really good list of reasons and it seemed like she would be real frustrating to work with. Um yeah, no, undoubtedly. It was kind of interesting to get a window into her 
Mm-hmm. to understand why she would find Michael so appealing. But nonetheless, I just want to say revealing that Ryan got the job and the way in which they reveal it and then his reaction to telling Kelly we're done um, is so it was so goddamn funny. And I really think I'm putting it on the table like possibly the best ending to any episode of The Office that we've seen. Like just it's such a punchy, funny twist. It is. It's such a huge reveal and at the same time kind of cliffhanger yeah. at the end of the episode, at the end of the season, because um, we just see David on the phone telling someone that they have the job and we at first don't know who it is. And then it cuts to Ryan at the office and he just says, I'm excited to. OK, bye. And Kelly asks who he's talking to. He says, nobody. You and I are done. And then his eyes quick, like kind of cut over to the camera. And uh, yeah, it's a very, very strong ending. But you mentioned Jan and her uh, and why she deserved to be fired. Let's go there. Um, okay, let's go. Because one thing I loved about this was we kind of talked about, I think last episode too, but even here with with Karen's like um, kind of uh, political professional answer, like I'm always fascinated when characters in real or characters in like shows I don't know. They handle things like with tact and grace that I would never be capable of in real life and that maybe no one would. And I felt that David Wallace had that. Um, So when he's like, this isn't the time we're in an interview. um, Actually, you know what? Let's act it out. How about I'll be Jan and you be David since. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wait, I got to find where we're at. uh, In. The script. Okay. Um, all right. Wait, which one? You said I'm David? Yeah, you're David. Okay. You start us off. You son of a bitch. Jan, this isn't the time. We're in an interview. You're firing me? Where the hell do you get off? Frankly, it's overdue. Your behavior in the last two years has been completely erratic. Erratic? Recently, you don't even show interest in your work. You smoke constantly in your office. You spend most of the day online shopping. You disappear for hours at a time, sometimes days, always saying you're visiting your sister in Scottsdale. You go to Scranton far more often than you used to. Is it because of these? Whoa. Hey. Oh, wait. That's Michael. (laughs) That's all right. (laughs) I'm Michael, too. No, I want to know. I want to know. Because if it is, then, then, then I will see you in court. It's not. No. It's not. Because he likes them, okay? He likes them. And 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 that is that is all I care about. The time has come for you to end your professional relationship with this company. You are clearly unstable. Hey, you're unstable, says Michael. Yeah, says Jan. <laughs> <laughs> Michael's response, no, we're all unstable. <laughs> okay, you know what? I'm just not leaving. I'm not leaving, not leaving. <laughs> So I hope the listeners enjoyed our dramatic reenactment of the episode. Honestly, I could just like listen to you read the script to these episodes all day long. It just cracks me up uh, hearing your delivery. Um, But what I love in this scene is David Wallace's like his initial kind of like it's not the time he's trying to be professional. And then he's like, you know what? Okay, but even his kind of quote unquote anger is 
very measured and just fact-based <laughs> and the way he says it's time for you to end your professional relationship with this company or whatever now i realize you know we're the english professors and you know we're we're um like you know always kind of talking about capitalism and critiquing it so i shouldn't necessarily be like championing the firing of an employee but it's just done so well like he he says that phrase so well it's time to end your professional relationship i just uh and it's and it's such in contrast to michael's or not mike well michael's version of firing if we recall where he was like don't make me do it and then uh you know his contrast to trump who's like you're fired and enjoys yeah. Yeah. this is what uh yeah kind of like professional boundaries might look like but yeah anyway what do you uh so you're saying jan but like she was visiting her sister in scottsdale she wasn't visiting her sister in scottsdale when she told that to uh the people at the scranton branch <laughs> she used that line on them too um yeah i mean it felt like the the one point where david kind of tips out of the professional is just once he says you're clearly unstable mm. um, which yeah, seems yeah. like it's probably both true and crossing the line um, and but it also seems understandable that like you hit a point of frustration I mean especially like what she's accusing him of um I mean, it seems very understandable to me, yeah, that you that you would like hit this this point of frustration where it may, becomes more difficult to maintain like the totally professional objective. I thought it was funny how when he says, when she asks, "Is it because of these?" he says, "It's not," and then he turns to the camera and says, yeah. "It's not." Yeah. Um, <laughs> Doesn't he kind of look away too from her chest or something like? Yes, he turns away. Yes, her, yeah. Yeah, so you can see him having like the um the caution around it. He's learned the lessons of the sexual harassment training. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> he knows to exercise a certain a certain level of caution. Um I thought Michael in this also was just hilarious the way I think that he feels he's torn between them. Yes. So when he goes first into Jan's office, um He's he's suggesting that they run away to Jamaica and um, he tells her, I can't tell you why or I can't tell you. And she says, tell me what? And it just shows his silent face and he's not telling. And then it cuts to her storming over into David's office. So I also liked that, how it cut out the actual telling her, but she gets it out of him. But then he is also wanting to defend Jan and saying to David, hey, you're unstable but then changing it back to, no, we're all unstable. Um, I love how after this too, he kind of leans, he's standing like kind of right outside the office and it's a glass wall and he kind of like pokes his head around it. And he says, he says, I did not tell her. <laughs> <laughs> Which technically I guess might be true. I don't know. No, he must've told her. <laughs> but it was, one might argue it was tortured out of him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure um i was just gonna echo yeah you're right when he says you're unstable that's when he crosses the line and that's maybe why uh i appreciated michael pushing back on that line in particular mm -hmm. and then also i was like maybe that's why david um doesn't like fire michael and mm -hmm. and also allows him the not so dignified 
exit of withdrawing his application or whatever. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That I thought that was, I thought that was really nice. So um, let's see where I wrote that down somewhere. Um, the quote, let's see. Okay. So there are a lot of things about this scene actually that I love and it's where so after this whole thing has gone down, there's a security guard who's escorting Jan out and she's got her box with all of her office things. And David is kind of standing there waiting during the reception area. She hugs Hunter for a long time, tells him, good luck with your band. Don't let them change you. And um, one of the things that I think is the funniest in the episode is that she's carrying her box and it tips yes. things start slowly falling out sort of one thing at a time and it's that very awkward thing where stuff starts falling and you're trying to catch it but as you try to catch it more things fall out and hunter is trying to pick it up and then michael starts kind of picking it up and david leans in a little bit awkwardly and it's one of those things where there's too many people and it's just awkward and slow and so funny um but then yeah so so david tells michael um, you know, actually, I think we're going to take things in another direction and then has to clarify, no, we're not giving you the job. Um, but it does, it seems like this, uh, I don't know, like there's a sensitivity in yeah. his, his way of, of letting Michael down. Now, why not give Michael the job? Because he's involved with Jan? Like, is that, or because he just said you're unstable or because, uh, he's just michael scott you know i mean did you have a vibe on i do not think his interview gave david great confidence in him. yeah that's true <laughs> i mean in terms of like bringing good ideas to the table you don't maybe... think super duper paper yeah i don't think that this is the level that david needs needs to operate at i think he needs a higher performance i honestly felt when he said you know what if it was uh what was it called great paper or something or yeah paper great paper great we're great how is that not the same as office max you know what i mean or whatever was popular at the time like it's genius like dunder mifflin what the fuck is that i i was like michael is right rebrand it's time uh okay okay (laughs) i can't believe i'm the one defending michael scott on this episode and then you're not you're not wrong that dunder mifflin does not communicate about what it is except there is paper in the title right yeah gotta gotta get it past all those other syllables um but yeah i i okay okay i think that's fair i i do think though i don't think paper great and super duper paper quite the same as office max no fair enough and (laughs) i think i just feel so bad because michael then like is driving her home and uh He's saying it's going to be okay. She's having a bit of a breakdown, kind of. And uh, he offers that she stay at his condo. Yeah. And he thinks he can get out of the sale, although he might get some bad feedback on eBay where he sold it. (laughs) To which she responds, live together. Actually, wait a minute. This could be great. This could be perfect. You know, my full-time job could be our relationship. I could wear stretch pants and wait for you to come home at 515. It could work. Um, which sounds like a good life to me. Um, yeah. I did think it was interesting. Like, you know, this could be great. This could be perfect. Like mm-hmm. this ramping up of 
you know, idealization in yeah. response to this uh, really embarrassing fall and her kind of like they share this kind of manic, um, I don't know, uh, attempt to rewrite reality in ways mm -hmm. that are, uh, you know, whatever, like less painful to their egos, which perhaps we all do. But I just found Michael's face in that scene <laughs> and he's kind of looking at the camera to be agonizing. And mm -hmm. uh, especially because we know he tried to get out of this relationship and now he's now yeah. she's in. Oh, Michael. And she's Michael. moving in, and I know what that's going to lead to, which is the the most horrifying episode of television I've ever seen in my whole life. Like, it, I, when we get there, my skin crawls. Like, I'm not ready. Wait, is it the dinner party? Yes. <laughs> it's like the the reason I'm like, I don't want to watch The Office. It's like, that's the most horrifying episode. Yes, it's so upsetting to me. It is... It gives me flash. It's, it's, oh, it's wow. awful. I mean, it's a great episode. It's you just, as a big horror fan cannot handle this. I know. I feel like you should really like horror based on the comedy you like. <laughs> <laughs> I like the, I like the things that disturb you. Well, I, <laughs> I just have one more item on uh, David and the interviews. And that is when he is talking to Jim. And he says, we have this very irritating HR guy. He's probably the only person you're not going to like, Kendall. Ugh. Yes. <laughs> Kendall is David's Toby. Yeah, I love that. I thought that was great. And it's like kind of hidden in a way so that we don't, um, like we're paying attention to what Jim is reading and that emotional moment. And yeah, it's very like, kind of quick, like passed over. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it was, it was, that was really hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. We had love, to, oh, go ahead. Yeah. I just love, I just love knowing that he has his Toby, but are it, you going to say I'm related? Cause it's in that moment. Um, Pam's note for Jim. Well, just the whole, we didn't really talk about the Pam Jim plot and we probably should wrap up on that. that yeah. Well, I mean, it's gotta, like, gotta the, hit that. I think it, it's a big, um, uh, what was I going to say? It's a big uh, payoff, I suppose, to three seasons of Will They, Won't They? And so the things I want to say about it, number one, I thought that this was like just genius writing, like the callback to the Olympics episode. Um, isn't that what because, that is? Wait, I don't think we said yet. So what is that call the callback to the Olympics episode? Oh, the yogurt lid she includes with his uh, with the note, right? Yeah. And I think uh, her note says, um, don't forget about us when you're famous. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it falls. Wait, let me just say, I think the cutest thing about where she puts it, like it falls out of his folder, you know, that's got his resumes or whatever the thing is that he has to give to David. And so she like tucked it in there and he didn't know it was in there. Um, I wonder if she did it when, remember Karen asked her to make a bunch of copies of their resumes. Mm. And so she put it in that folder. And so it just like, it comes out as David's asking questions and just really captures Jim. So it's just really sweet. I love how it was a surprise thing that just kind of falls out of his folder. Okay, sorry, proceed. No, yeah. And it's like the the moment when, like he was already in the previous episode having maybe not second thoughts, but, you know, he was definitely torn. And what we didn't know at the time is the conversation they had at the beach. And so- yeah. Uh, 
so th- the first thing is, yeah, I like the surprise reveal, his kind of being confronted with the question of like, what do you want your five years or whatever to look like? And then this is intercut with Pam reaching a place of confidence and self-assurance. It is basically like we didn't get the timing right. Um, it's like beautiful romantic comedy writing where it's like just at the moment when now it seems impossible, you know, he opens the door and is like, you know, asked for dinner um, and her reaction and the way that she plays that scene is incredible. Of course, he says it's a date. Um, and she says, what was the question? You know, it's just whatever. I just loved it. But what I thought was fascinating about it was the restructuring of time. Like, I don't know that we've ever had a flashback like this to an event that happened in the previous episode that we did not see. And, um, and it was really interesting because what we did see was them, we saw like a cut to them talking and maybe, you know, and, and her narrating it being like, yeah, Jim and I talked and we're okay. And Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, this is complicated narrative stuff for a sitcom because it really begs rewatching where it's like now you can rewatch that episode and know that they had that conversation and that's part of the reason why she is I think accepting that it might not be a possibility because she was basically like you know I think subtly saying yeah I still want to be with you or something like that right so maybe not so subtly in that moment so anyway I just thought the temporality of that um and the intercutting were really complicated and sophisticated. And I did read on Wikipedia when I was looking up the episode and searching for the script that the original idea was to have that flashback be the cold open. And, oh. uh, and I don't know if that was before they were going to make it a single part episode or anyway, but just the idea of putting that scene anywhere else is like crazy. Like it's such a great idea but yeah. not, it's not like the most obvious idea for this show. And anyway, I really yeah. liked it. And I also like the writing in that scene because there's nothing that says, Hey, should we be together or something like that? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, you know, I left because, and I never came back and she says, I wish you would. Right. Like, but the meanings of that are so interesting. But my question for you is she says, I shot him down. Then he shot me down. And I was like, when exactly did he shoot Pam down? Because he came back dating Karen, right? He did come back dating Karen. Um, hmm. It's a good question. But anyway, I can't remember that was exactly what, it, what it refers to. Yeah. What did you think of this uh, culmination of heterosexual romance? I thought this whole thing was so powerful. It was making me think about where the whole season began. And in the first episode of the season, it does, I think for the first time in the show, a flashback thing. And that's where it goes to the time when Jim and Pam kiss on um, Casino Night, which is the last episode of You're season. You're right, yes. So in the beginning of season three, it goes back to that kiss, but it's different because we have seen that before, but it goes back to it and I thought the um question that David the way like you said the way that it was spliced together the question that he's asked also relates I think to Karen's answer 
So he says, um, David in the interview says, okay, well, we want the person who takes this position to be here for the long haul. So long haul, where do you see yourself in 10 years? I think that's also revealing about why Karen's answer was not a good answer. Um, it was not a long haul answer, but it was interesting the way then for Jim, the question of the long haul was not about career. It was about Pam. Like that was the thing that triggers this flashback to the conversation with Pam at night. And you're right that it's interesting that this we have not seen before. Um, so this fills it in. And then I just thought Pam was so wonderful um, in her interview. So let's see. So it goes, um, there's the flashback, then it's back to the office. Pam is answering answering the phone saying, Dunder Mifflin, this is Pam, just one moment, I'll transfer you. So it also goes back to the most ordinary, most frequently repeated line. Um, and we've seen Jim in the corporate office when Grace answers the phone and says, Dunder Mifflin, this is Grace, at the beginning, I think. And he kind of looks up and, you know, has that feeling of Pam. Um, and so when she's back at Dunder Mifflin, she's in the interview, the way that those pieces go together back and forth too, between Pam and Jim. So Pam is being interviewed. She's talking to the camera. Jim is walking out the door in New York. Then we see him in his car alone. And it's that the way that he interrupts the interview, you know, he's suddenly there and he opens the door and just the way it goes, Pam, are you free for dinner tonight? And she just says, yes. And he says, all right, then it's a date. And he closes the door and he's gone. And Pam's eyes get wet. And she like, the tears are just sort of rising. And she bites her bottom lip in the, just the cutest smile. I think her acting there is incredible. And it is so emotional. So she strong. She sells it. She sells it. No, I was like, fuck this relationship. <laughs> and, uh, but oh man, it got me. I was like, oh. It was so sweet. <laughs> so sweet. Well, is it time to go to Chili's and give it's them time. a boost? It's time to go to Chili's. You want me to start us off tonight? Please do. Well, I'm taking a page out of your book. And I am giving out the Emotional Magnific Magnificence Award to Pam Beasley. Hey! Um, both, I think that her interactions with Dwight were also emotionally magnificent. I think they navigated a kind of complicated emotional terrain. I thought the note that she left for Jim and the sentimentality of the yogurt lid, which we can remember Ryan <laughs> threw away immediately. Um, but she kept and... I remember too that she had talked about how Jim um, can be really good at his job when he's excited about something, but the problem is that he works here. And so she was kind of thinking like in the office Olympics, when they do those medals about how good he is, like how skillful he is and actually how good he would be. I think a kind of implication is in what she's saying in a job that is more challenging for him. Um, so it's kind of interesting then sending that medal that was related to what he was showing about himself on that day to this. But ultimately, 
in that interview, the teary eyes, the smile, just emotionally magnificent. Chef's kiss. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I have two. Uh, they might surprise you, but the first is the Corporate Daddy Award, and uh, it goes to David Wallace. Oh my gosh, I hate it that I didn't give David Wallace a Dundee. Can I revise and regret? <laughs> you can next time. Uh, <laughs> okay. But he just looks like a snack with those glasses. and uh, he looks like a snack. <laughs> and his calm, soothing, uh, you know, um, flexing of corporate patriarchy. Uh, I just thought, yes, please. Uh, so here's to you, David Wallace. And then uh, my second one is the, um, you know, the good the good boyfriend award and it goes to michael scott <laughs> nice um i don't approve of this relationship i think it's got a lot of problems but i genuinely thought it was uh for all of his remarks that are problematic yeah like i said i thought he showed integrity here and um and uh and also not for nothing his integrity sort of kicks off some of the funniest scenes of the episode so uh yeah Here's nice. to for once I'm giving Michael Scott a Dundee. I I love it. We should um make a, a chart where we track over time the frequency of Michael Dundees and see like does my line go down and your line go up? <laughs> That'd be awesome. Over time. The other thing I love that the, the corporate daddy award goes all the way back to we didn't talk about this, but when Michael before his interview, when he's very confident and he thinks he's definitely gonna get the job, and he says you know, that he's like the daddy and uh, Jim and Karen are like child actors. Right. Hang along so that they can audition. And he says, but daddy is the best actor around daddy. (laughs) Well, your corporate daddy is David Wallace. All right. Well, that's the end of season three. Thanks, everybody, for listening to us this whole way. We made it. We made it very exciting uh we don't know what are we doing when we come back do you know what we're doing i think we got to figure out a couple of annex episodes yeah all right well we're gonna have an annex um and it's in some way form or another we will um reflect on the journey we've taken in season three so yes uh we will see you then thanks for listening all right thanks for listening bye